This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Jingle Bell Rock, storytelling via the medium of songs, the Christmas edition. It's Christmas! Yes, it is the festive season. It's here. And it kind of blindsided us slightly, so here we are. Yeah. Now, whether we're talking Yule, Christmas, and Nolag, um, or any other winter celebrations, it's that time of year again where we put on cosy jumpers and socks. Um, and grab some eggnog. Grab some eggnog. I've, I've never had eggnog. Um... Honestly, you're not really missing that much. It just... I guess I'm just too frightened by the very thought of salmonella. (laughs) (laughs) Glue vine is nicer. Mulled wine can be quite nice, but it's obviously deadly. (laughs) Hot chocolate. Yes. Anyway, this is our Christmas episode. Um, Now, in the past, we've looked at Christmas movies, the pagan origins of the Christmas tradition, and how the festival was celebrated through the years. If you're someone who finds the family gathering side of things hard during the festive season, remember, some bloodshed is also traditional at this time of year. Not that we're advocating for it. absolutely not. We're just letting you know there are options. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this year we bring you a kind of writing episode with a bit of a twist. So without further ado, let us present an episode about storytelling via the medium of song the xmas edition yeah so our plan here is we're going to take a selection of popular christmas songs and look at how they actually tell a story we're also looking at whether they tell the story most people think they're telling so there may be a few shatter glass moments of popular opinion yes now a disclaimer look we have to do a legal bit now since we are going to be quoting song lyrics and we don't want to accidentally you know violate copyright yes (laughs) (laughs) so this episode is for education and entertainment purposes only any quoted lyrics are being used in this context alone yeah so let's get into it yes so let's start with fairy tale of new york uh shane mcgowan um or or the pogues pogs i don't actually know how to pronounce that (laughs) It's the Pogues. Uh, the Pogues translates to the kisses. Oh. You know, like, poke my horn, kiss yes. my ass. Oh, right. Okay, <laughs> I did think so. Yes. Okay, yeah. right. Um, and uh, Christy McCall, uh, 1988. Yeah, this is one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time. Maybe it's the style of the, the duet. Maybe it's the storyline, or maybe it's the way it gives the person singing along the chance to bellow semi-profane insults with gusto partway through the song. Yeah. Now, before we get into the storyline of the song, let's just clear up this year's big misconception. The song does not contain any specific or non-specific homophobia. Yeah, I have to say this kind of bugged me when there was a big announcement that all the radios were going to stop playing the fairy fairy tale of New York uh, because of the inclusion of the word faggot in the fifth verse. Um, In this context, faggot has nothing to do with recent homophobic associations. It's an old Irish slang term for a bundle of twigs. And used in this context, it means a lazy person. 
In the specific context of the song, it's referring to a man who goes drinking instead of providing for his children. Yeah. Um, of course, things do change, and I think also there's a, there's an, a, a, an element of placement of, of where the song sort of kind of is popular and things like that. So I understand a lot of people not getting that um, or kind of getting upset by it or sort of saying, well, regardless of what it originally meant, um, it now has a different... people understand it in a different way. But we're just going to be looking at it in terms of what it actually means within the context. Okay. And uh, it doesn't mean what you think it means. No one's yeah. trying to offend you. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, context matters. So please try to bear that in mind. Yeah. And so. The story follows a pair of Irish immigrants who come to New York and the US, in fact, with big dreams. Yes. Now, obviously, immigration to America is still ongoing. Um, but let's just consider in the context of the song, immigration to America picked up dramatically um, in the wake of the Great Hunger. Yeah. So, you know, if you had Anne Gorton Moore in the mid 1800s, um, and let's just say that Ireland has never recovered its population after that. The mm. population is still down by 30% compared to what it was in the 1800s prior to the famine. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Irish people thought they were escaping terrible poverty to a land of plenty. And this went on for, you know, well up into the mid-1900s and later. Um, Irish people thought they were escaping, as, as I said, and it's sort of encapsulated in the line, they've got cars because bars, they've got rivers of gold. Um, what Irish people were often met with was similar hardships in a country that did not understand them, who did not actually want them, and which they honestly didn't really understand themselves. Yeah. Now, there were jobs available, but for the Irish, who appeared small and unhealthy due to growing up always hungry, ill-educated, most only had a year or two of schooling, and who rolled off the ships after months of long voyaging, uh, basically in the hold, where they may or may not have picked up things like consumption, uh, most employers who were decent did not want them. In fact, plenty of shops would not even serve them. You know, the we've all seen that sign that no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah, that was still in place until sort of the 1960s. So they ended up doing backbreaking work in factories and building sites in dangerous conditions with very little in the way of joy in their lives. Um, it's a, a sly saying that the immigrants built America and then were not allowed to enjoy it. And there is there is some truth to that. Really, yeah. it depends on when you immigrated, but certainly around this period of time, mm-hmm. you it was it wasn't slave labour, but it wasn't well paid, safe labour either. It did not generally no. improve anyone's life. Um, anyway, this, you know, this led to rampant drinking and alcoholism. So, you know, the line, the boys from the NYPD choir are singing Galway Bay. The NYPD choir is slang for the Irish singing in the drunk tank, having been arrested for being drunk and disorderly. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously the stereotype of the drunken Irishman. And it comes in part from this and from appalling conditions in post-World War One Ireland. Yeah. Um, the The fact of the matter is, is that if we look historically at the relationship between poverty and alcoholism, um, you know, 
right up to the to the modern day, there is a very very close relationship um, and uh, elements of causation and things like that as well that play into it. It's a very complicated and nuanced issue. Basically, if your life feels like it's worth living, you don't feel the need to escape from it into drugs and alcohol, or at least it's less likely. Yes. There's also a lot of cultural things like that, which I think there can be an inherited element as well. Yeah. But in in terms of people saying, oh, it's almost a national characteristic. No, it isn't. These people came over looking for a a life where they could actually eat and feed their children and Mm. were instead met with general unfriendliness and poor conditions to live in. And they medicated with alcohol. Yeah, essentially. So it's not a national characteristic in in the same way that you had, I don't know, here in, in the UK, you had the opium dens. And, you know, yes, you did have a lot of Chinese immigrants using the opium dens. Again, if life isn't worth living, you will find ways to make it worth living or to numb the pain. Yeah. Um, like I said, very... <laughs> very complicated topic which we do not have time to kind of get into um, but yeah th- this is obviously all plays into the song so with that as a backdrop we follow the unlikely romance of two Irish immigrants who get caught up in the Christmas season yeah now considering how unpromising the start of the song is it was Christmas Eve babe in the drunk tank so he's starting off <laughs> In the place of, I'm Irish in New York, I've been drunk and disorderly and I've been arrested for it. So that's a great start for a romance. Yeah. Um, And so there you go, you've got one half of the couple already following that path into poverty, alcoholism and destitution, possibly even despair. Um, It actually manages to inject some real Christmas magic into the song. You know, the whole, we kissed on the corner and danced through the night. And this is while, you know, Sinatra was was swinging and... um, that the drunks were all singing and it's like those things are not necessarily great and they suggest you're perhaps not in the best part of town but it doesn't matter that those bad things are happening because this great thing this great romance is happening yeah and there is something to be said about everyone you know being locked up in a drunk tank but then everyone joining together to have a song (laughs) there is there is kind of something (laughs) it's exactly the kind of sort of imagery and stuff like that that you you see a lot of in in irish sort of art and stuff like that which is everything's terrible but we're gonna have a sing song (laughs) don't you know what i mean and honestly if you have made even a cursory study of irish folk songs you'll see that most of them are it's raining everything's terrible my babby's dead and the sheep have been stolen but we're going and to the English it in the most are here. Yeah. It's, yeah, we hate the English. Um, and it, it, it is, it all is all kind of like the Celts making misery beautiful since like the 1600s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, however, uh, the fairy tale then turns sour in the next verse. Clearly, the man has turned to drink and his woman is sick. And they each blame the other. Um, the whole happy Christmas, my ass. I pray God it's our last. (laughs) Um, Weirdly, the song then wraps up to a wistful denouement, which suggests they still love each other, but crushing poverty and lack of opportunity and the ways they've both dealt with having their dreams of a better future ripped away from them 
largely because they are the bad kind of Irish. Again, that's a subject we don't have a lot to get into, but there was the good kind of Irish who were upper middle class and there was the bad kind of Irish who were Mm -hmm. just ordinary people. Um, It's kind of made them hate each other and the city as well, and it's very difficult to get past that. And clearly they're not young anymore. They're not full of hope and dreams anymore. Um, You know, they're sick. There's probably children there who are sick as well. Yeah. And it, it leaves the listener feeling that they still could have done better. Um, and it's an oddly upbeat note for what is a tragic story. Yeah, and probably one that was all too common. So that is the basic premise and the backdrop of the song. Um, what are our thoughts on it? It's almost like a James Joyce story. <laughs> it is very much James Joyce. I would agree with that. It's It's got... It's got a whiff of the Dubliners about it. <laughs> it really does. It's just that everything is terrible, but people are just kind of trying to live their lives. But there's this there's this sense of tragedy. It's quite interesting because James Joyce, and, and, and I think the story, and, and we do see it in a lot of Irish literature actually as well, is the sense of tragedy, but not tragedy necessarily because of, of uh, you know, a, a hamashia, a, a fatal flaw, but just because of life in general it's not everything is bad because we're being pecked at one by one thing after another it's just that life is set up in that way that there's this kind of this endless tumble and even if they kind of do one thing right they might have been able to be a little bit better off but it never would have been great but at the same time there's this element of this shining happiness which was which had a potential um which was never fulfilled and so it is this kind of dichotomy between it was preventable and it was inevitable um and just because of the situation and who they are as people there is this great sense of nuanced character yeah definitely um what I want to talk about is the actual music itself, which manages to swing between being a very wistful, almost lament, not quite a lament, but almost, mm-hmm. to being a fairly upbeat jig with still a few notes of that wistfulness. I mean, if you think about how it starts with those opening bars of piano, mm. and then by the end of the song, you've got the penny whistle and and the boron and everything else going on. And it sounds, you know, kind of kind of more upbeat and yet it's not because the song's ended and their their romance has ended and it's not ended in a good way (laughs) and it is still it there's very there's a sort of matter of factness to it i think there's almost a rebelliousness to the song as well which is kind of what adds the joy to it yeah it's like don't tell us this has to be the most wonderful time of year (laughs) yeah fuck yourself (laughs) it's it is almost like yeah don't tell us this has to be the most wonderful time of year and don't tell us that this is the most wonderful place to live that new york at christmas the place to be and they're like no it isn't (laughs) everything's shit So I think that's why it resonates with people because a lot of people sort of run themselves ragged trying to do the perfect Christmas under pressure from, you know, the commercialisation and from other people and, oh, we've got this perfect tree, the neighbours have got, etc. And the children need this and they want that, etc. Mm. And it has to be perfect because I didn't have perfect Christmases growing up. And, and then you get to actual Christmas and it's a complete letdown because you're putting way too many expectations on it instead of making it smaller and more self-contained and ma- and centering it around the bits that you actually want 
Yeah. Um, and that sort of really parallels the whole sort of, we're going to go to New York and the streets are paved with gold and guess what? They're really not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I do think that there's an element of that in that anger is actually, it's quite cathartic yeah. as a story. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, actually, it is one of my favourite ones. I've never got bored of it. Um, and I always get something new out of it every year, I think. I won't say every time, but certainly every year. There's always a little bit more. Um, not least when initially, before you could just look up the lyrics online, it was kind of like spending hours trying to work out what Shane McCowan was actually singing. Because yeah. <laughs> he sounds like... I don't know if he's putting it on or he genuinely is three sheets to the wind at that point. Yeah, I was like, he does actually sound like he's in the drunk tank. Not going to lie. <laughs> It's kind of like, you're an old slut of junk with an arrow and lying around dead with driven your heart. And you're like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> There's a possibility. It's like, maybe the two of them are arguing because... <laughs> There's massive misunderstandings of what the other one is saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. Oh, okay, all right, let's jump into our next song, yes. uh, which is Christmas Wrapping, The Waitresses, 1982. Yeah, this is something much lighter. <laughs> yeah. um, and basically, it's one I think that everyone, including myself, inevitably sings the wrong lyrics to because of the way it's sung. It's quite fast. Mm -hmm. And the way words, certain words are pronounced very deliberately, almost to distort them. And you're kind of like, uh, uh, what, 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 what did I just say? <laughs> um, but because it's got that, that rhythm to it, it's almost a rap song, and yet it's not quite. It's... Yeah. Um, it's really quite compulsive. This is sort of a newfound favourite for me. I don't remember really hearing it a lot in my childhood. And then it had made a bit of a comeback in sort of like 2010-ish. Mm. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but despite the fact that it is fun, the fact that it's not actually, actually overtly Christmassy in style, I think is maybe part of the appeal yeah um there's only so many times you can hear about broken hearts peace on earth and magical godchildren before the glow starts to fade <laughs> <laughs> there is and the, the other thing is that there is this thing for a while certainly in the 90s where people were being kind of lazy with christmas songs so they'd write something and then it'd be like oh shit we're not releasing till december quick let's put some sleigh bells over it yeah and we'll slow the track down a bit and Voila, Christmas number one. I'm thinking of East 17's Stay Another Day. <laughs> and it's like, as much as I like that song, it's not really a Christmas song. You've made it a Christmas song by adding some bells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, the story is simple. The woman in the song has basically just looked up and it's Christmas in that way that happens to all of us. Like the pair of us just today. Yep. Where we were like, oh no. <laughs> oh shit, we need a Christmas episode stat. <laughs> yeah. She even feels disgruntled about it because she's just not ready for the festive season. Which, again, I think we can all relate to. Yeah, definitely. Which, hence the opening, which is bar humbug. <laughs> Yeah, which she then charmingly takes back in the next line. No, that's too harsh. It is my favourite holiday. Yeah. 
Now, as uh, you follow her her through the song, you can probably like continue to relate to her. You know, she's been working really hard and she's just exhausted. It's been a really busy year. Yeah. However, last winter, she met someone on a ski trip she found interesting. Um, work and other commitments got in the way. We should mention, obviously, the person she found the person interesting, not the ski trip. Yeah, I mean, well, she maybe, maybe she found the ski trip interesting too. <laughs> interesting Weirdly. ski trip. We we rode on beavers. <laughs> um, <laughs> she met this great guy. She kind of liked him. She got his number, and then never did anything with it because she was just so busy. Um, as you go through the song, there are various other meet cute moments, but neither of them managed to really get any sort of nascent relationship off the ground. Yeah. Uh, now, the narrator of the song does kind of regret the missed opportunity, but is resigned to Christmas alone and even thinks the rest from other people might do her good. Yeah. Then she finds she's forgotten the cranberries for her Christmas dinner and runs to the shops, which gives us the finale. So already in the oven, nice and hot. Oh, damn, guess what I forgot. So on with the boots, back out in the snow to the only all-night grocery. When what to my wandering eyes should appear in the line is that guy I've been chasing all year. Spending this one alone, he said. Give me a break. This year's been crazy, I said. Me too, but why are you? You mean you forgot cranberries too? Then we laughed and laughed, caught on to what was happening, that Christmas magics brought this tale to a very happy ending. So cute. <laughs> it is. And it's the fact that they've both forgotten the very same ingredients. So he's bought cranberries. She's clearly going to say, so I've got a turkey roasting. Do you want to come over for Christmas dinner? Yeah. That's um, the implication. Yeah, but yeah, they come together at Christmas. It is the whole Christmas romance trope, and it plays out in a very satisfying way, despite the fact that the song initially was kind of jaded. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh god, it's Christmas again, and I just, I can't cope. Okay, it's fine. I'm going to make an effort, but don't expect too much of me. And then it's like, by the end, it's like, you know what? Maybe this doesn't completely suck. This could be quite cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah. So our thoughts on this one. Um, well, as I said, I fa sort of found this one much later uh, than it was actually released. And I really enjoy it. It's one of those ones, you know how if you've got a Christmas album, there are some that you always skip past because you're like, oh, not that one again. Yeah. Um, even though you haven't heard it for a year, you're like, oh, not that one again. Um, the, the Waitresses is one of the ones that I always turn up because it's just kind of fun. I do think, yeah, that there's a lot of charm to the story. Um, and I think it is very relatable. It, it feels like a Hallmark movie, <laughs> but yeah. actually more realistic because <laughs> she is she is that little bit jaded, which I think adds to the whole beauty of the finale. I think the reason it works as a storytelling mode is, I mean, if you read, go and read the whole lyrics, guys, obviously we're not going to quote the entire song, that wouldn't be fair. Um, but if you actually look at the way that the rhythms are put in place in, in the actual lyrics, they're like halfway between beat poetry and halfway between rapping, and they're not full sentences. It's almost like you're getting, you're, you're literally getting first person point of view from inside her head, as in you're getting her disjointed stream of consciousness thoughts yeah and for some reason that really really works i mean it immerses us from the first verse in in her viewpoint in the fact that you know it's, it's, i'm exhausted and christmas is even more exhausting and yet somehow i've got to try and have some fun um, yeah 
I never have any time for me kind of thing, which I think is something that a young working person can genuinely go, yeah, I I get that. <laughs> you know, I know what that's like. Yeah. And I think it is the mix between the fact that she is she she wants to have someone. She's lonely, but she's also exhausted. And how much time have I got to put effort into this? Yeah. And I, I really think that that probably is, is an element that speaks the most because so often we see either, oh, I'm lonely um, and so I'm going to go out and try and get people. But I think there is just something very realistic about feeling lonely, but also not having the spoons to be able to go out and socialise. Yeah, absolutely. And even going sort of like, oh, yeah, OK, Christmas loan this year. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the way it's almost as if the universe has been trying to nudge them together all year and they're really stubborn and the universe is just like, oh, for fuck's sake, okay, you're both going to forget cranberries at exactly the same time. <laughs> we are doing this. This is on. Oh, that's really cute. I just like the fact that they've been going to the same shop but maybe haven't realised it the entire year as well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> You could get a film out of that. It's almost like every, you, almost like sliding doors where they really just, just keep missing each other. Yeah, they, they just like as she's going out, he's coming in. You know, stuff like that. Ah, oh, there's so much potential. I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a movie. Honestly, yeah. The fact that you can, and, and I think this is a really good point to make. The fact that you can cram something that people could then run the entire movie in their heads into a single song, which maybe runs for two minutes. It's not a long song. Um, that's a huge amount of skill right there. It's far more difficult to write a song that tells everything you want to say and keep it quite short and punchy than it is to write something that runs for 12 minutes. Meatloaf, we are looking at you. <laughs> Not that we don't like the uncut version of I would do anything for love, but... <laughs> but also, um, you can also possibly have a, like a 12-minute song which has no real discernible story. Um, yeah. <laughs> Queen, we're looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the story with Bohemian Rhapsody is kind of like, we're tripping balls right now and, you know, this sounds good together. <laughs> Come and join us. You can you can create your own story as you go. This it's a pick your own adventure. <laughs> this is an episode from my life and it can mean anything you want it to mean because <laughs> the melody's fantastic, so why wouldn't you want to follow it? It could be literal or non-literal. <laughs> okay, all right, let's jump to our next song, which is Don't Let the Bells End. The Darkness, 2003. Oh... I love the darkness. I love the dark. I didn't know you loved the darkness. I thought that was far more my thing. No, I really do love the darkness. In fact, the other day I was driving my stepmother um, somewhere, and the, I was playing the darkness. She's like, I, I didn't, I didn't realise this. This was your kind of song, and I was like, Oh yeah, really? And of course, I was listening to. Um, <laughs> it was the Permission to Land album, and of Ooh. course. There's this obviously there's this whole sh bit with Black Shuck, but there's this I can't even remember which song it is, but it's just like um uh, where he just suddenly becomes Igor. <laughs> thank you, Master. Thank you, and starts laughing hysterically. And I'm driving like I'm very conscious now of the fact that we're listening to this song. Oh, they're so good. They're so I really love. I took my cousin to see them live, and I just this is quite early on. 
Um, it's really useful when you're a very short woman to take along a bloke who's about six foot six because they break up the crowd really well. <laughs> um, but we went, we had a really good time. But the bit that sticks in my memory, and I'm pretty sure it sticks in his memory, is watching Justin Hawkins playing a guitar, riding around in the air on this fake, admittedly, white tiger just being zoomed around in the air <laughs> on it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, they, they came and they played... Uh, when we were living in the UAE, they came and they played out there. And there were very strict laws about sort of the language they were allowed to use. So my dad and my brother went to see them um, and they weren't allowed to use explicit words. So I think one of my the favorite sort of <laughs> things they did was that they weren't allowed to say, get your hands off my woman, motherfucker. <laughs> I knew so, you were going to say that one. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, so it was get your hands off my woman, melon farmer. <laughs> which I think added a whole other le level to just this story, which is just this lecherous le melon farmer. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's so good. I kind of want to give you a hug. I didn't realise that you knew, that you even liked the darkness. That's oh, so yes. Cool. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, sorry. Back to, back to it. <laughs> this is actually a favourite Christmas song of mine. But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'll admit, it, I initially included this as a tongue-in-cheek one because I didn't realise that Madeline liked the darkness too. Um, <laughs> but for such a simple song, it's really pretty cunning with its themes. Um, Christmas is not an unmixed blessing. For some people, it's an endurance event and they just want to get through it. Yes. Um, and really, it pulls no punches with that theme. Uh, from the very first line, feigning joy and surprise, all the gifts we despise over mulled wine with you <laughs> it's like damn ouch this is it you're, you're coming in swinging and there's more going on here than just not liking christmas uh gifts are obviously very personal and being forced to say you like something when you don't for fear of offending people is you know it's quite an awful constraint really because if you say you like it then you're kind of stuck with it forever as well yeah um and yes, it, it can be a sense of somebody thought of this for me and that's great. But sometimes what they think of you is so far out in orbit, you're like, you have no idea who I am. Yes. Uh, which is awful when it's somebody who you think is very close to you. And it's like, well, have you listened to a damn thing I've said in my entire life kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so yeah that that kind of really sucks but there's also the level where there are two ways to give a gift or a card um you're either reflecting the gift giver or the recipient with gifts you should really be reflecting the recipient it shouldn't be kind of like i want you to have this because it's a reflection of me that's quite egotistical mm. unless the person is very like you in which case have at it um it should be kind of like i got this for you even though i don't really understand it um because i I know you'd like it. It's like my mother buying me a wok and my father buying me a Cradle of Filth album. Guess which <laughs> one got me more correctly in that scenario? I'm really glad you added album at the end there because Cradle of Filth. <laughs> Just a, cr a Cradle of Filth. Uh <laughs> well, there's nothing like having beautiful poetry screamed at high decibel volume over <laughs> guitars and drums. So there you go. There's nothing like imagining you listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to the song. Um, it unwinds um, and the question... It kind of asks the question of whether, you know, it's referring to the relationship ending um, or to 
Christmas ending. Um, this forced proximity under the festive circumstances, either way, is not helping whatever's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, you're not sure whether it's... It can be talking about romantic relationship. It could be talking about familial relationships as well in certain points. Um, we also have to de- address the deliberate sly humour where bells and end are placed together so often in this song. <laughs> um, as in, this is all real and it's all bollocks at the same time. Um, I don't know if this is a thing in the US, but over here in the UK, when we call someone a bell end, we're calling them the end of a penis, just so that you're aware. So having a song that goes, don't let the bells end, is yeah. um, a deliberate play. I don't believe that was an accident, knowing what no. I know about the darkness. No, I, I don't believe that was an accident either. Uh, that sounds 100% entirely intentional. Yes. Um, so basically, the narrator of this song is as caught in the Christmas trap as everyone else, even though he can see it for what it is. So he's kind of like, this is all bollocks, and I'm here anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is also a song where it's worth mentioning how it's sung. You know, it's it's definitely played for laughs. It is cynical, it's catchy and fun, but it's also not exactly packed with warm, fuzzy feels, which I think the darkness are pretty good at doing. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this is a love song, but it's going to have a bitter aftertaste. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, d- again, the darkness have a very particular style. Um, like, the fact that if you even look at their album placement and stuff like the songs, again, if we look at um, uh, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, it's like, um, I Believe in a Thing Called Love is followed by the song Love is Just a Feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they know exactly <laughs> they what know, they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And and Don't Let the Bells End, um, you know, it, it's a piece of commentary on the commercialization of Christmas and how we still fall into it anyway not wanting to be alone even though the people we'll spend it with might drive us nuts yeah so our thoughts the ones that we haven't already shared um have you ever seen the the video for this no i haven't what's it like at some point go and watch it on youtube because it's fucking hilarious (laughs) (laughs) but there's there's one point in there where you know justin hawkins who has a fantastic voice but is perhaps not the most prepossessing person physically (laughs) what they've done is they've clearly pulled in this woman who is very generically good looking and they've put her in a skimpy-ish santry outfit and she's sort of climbing on him on a sofa and they're kissing and she looks so incredibly not into it. It's unbelievable. Whereas he's kind of like, well, this is part of my job. This is a great part of my job. <laughs> and she's just sort of kind of like, I can't believe I've got to kiss this guy. I can't. And it really works in the context of the song because it's kind of like, yeah, okay, we're together, but we don't want to be together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's just so funny. <laughs> And there's there's other bits as well, like you've got the band all sat around a Christmas tree and um, <laughs> and various other bits and, and pieces, and and it is it it manages to combine that. Let's not take it all too seriously. Come on, let you know you can find something funny to see about every situation. Uh, with the whole, this is still kind of bollocks. You realise that, don't you? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's an interesting song as well because. I, 
I have seen so many things. In fact, there's this kind of repeated joke of, oh, I want to break up with them, but it is coming up to Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it. Oh, but then there's Valentine's Day and I don't want to be alone for that. Yeah. And you're like, oh. <sighs> yeah. So I, I feel it does highlight that very much so. Yeah. Um, I think it's also a piss take on the hundreds and hundreds of songs that are basically a, a variation on the theme please come home for Christmas as in you know even if things aren't great between us we shouldn't be apart at Christmas please come back to me kind of thing um, yeah. ignoring the fact there might be very very good reasons why you are not together right now <laughs> I think it also plays on you know this whole idea of oh the romance the magic of Christmas um, and and it's kind of reversing that and saying instead of there being you sort of riding this cloud of Christmas, it's no, we are all of that doesn't actually exist. It's all faked. Yeah. We're all faking it. <laughs> Everyone is faking it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing. When people say to me they don't like the darkness, I think you haven't really listened to the lyrics. That doesn't mean that they, they would necessarily like the darkness, but I think they would acknowledge that actually within what seem to be very simple and quite cynical lyrics for all their songs there's a lot of intelligent commentary and there's a lot of piss taking of the status quo and the way people get really wrapped up in very specific ideas and this is like a prime example of it yeah and i do also think that one thing about the darkness is that they do love to play with expectation uh, yeah. for example the song growing on me everyone thinks oh this is a song about you know, love. It's, like, it's, a, it's, it's not. really unwilling if it is. <laughs> no, it's a song about genital warts. Um, and if you listen back to it now, you'll be like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I mean, you can certainly take it as a, you know, there's, you, you know, I don't want you, but I kind of like, I, I kind of want to fuck you anyway. Um, it's not a love song. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely not a love song, and it's that's not actually it's not even about a woman at all, uh, <laughs> or <Yeah>. a man. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, all right. <laughs> I, I anyway, I like it. It's a masterful song. You won't ever find it on a Christmas album. I don't think anyone's ever included the darkness on a Christmas album. <laughs> I feel like the darkness are a kind of band where they wouldn't be included, but they might sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they made, um, when they remade Do They Know It's Christmas Time for like the third time, I know The Darkness was singing, uh, rather Justin Hawkins was singing one part of it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that song because I find it really patronising. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. Let's talk about another famous Christmas one, which is Last Christmas by Wham. Yeah. So right from out and out cynicism, we turn to out and out sentimentality. Yeah, everyone knows this Christmas song. It's on every Christmas album imaginable. The members of Wham have probably been able to live off the royalties of this one hit alone. It's also perhaps the most memeable Christmas song, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> on the surface of it, this is a song about a Christmas romance that goes wrong. The narrator of the song meets someone or finally declares their love for them at Christmas. All seems to be going well, except it turns out the object of the narrator's affections views it more as a just-for-tonight arrangement. Yes. 
now the rest of the song is a push-pull between a possibly unfair sense of betrayal and the fact that he still desires this person and wants to be fooled again. Basically, this is a song about unrequited love which doubles down on the pathos by being set at Christmas. It also contains some imagery which, if taken literally, is both gross and hilarious. <laughs> so look, when I'm talking about this being a very memeable uh, one, there's, there's the whole sort of like, last Christmas I gave you my heart, and then I dedicated it to Carly Mara and she set it on fire. So if you like Indiana Jones, then that's obviously hilarious. <laughs> um, yes. But there, there's various other things as well like there's uh, countless cartoons of literally bloody hearts in boxes and things um i think there's an entire gothic movement where they're like yeah we kind of like that as a lyric but we want to move we want more you know we want dark romance (laughs) so it is funny i think uh let's go on to our thoughts about it because i think there's actually quite a lot to unpack with this song i've always it's it's quite difficult not to find yourself humming along to the tune because it is really catchy. It really is, yeah. And I think it's kind of inescapable as well. Yeah, it's like Mar- Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. It's like, you know it's coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's, for me, Last Christmas is kind of like the never going to give you up of Christmas time. Yep, <laughs> that's fair. Um, and so... I, I actually do kind of like the song. It is bittersweet. Um, and I think it is open to interpretation. I know that when I sort of first heard it, or like was first really kind of listening to it, um, in terms of actually listening to the lyrics and things like that, um, there there was this kind of understanding that it, it was about someone who had given their trust and sort of really thought, yeah, this we're one hundred percent going into this, and I and I trust you. And then that person just tossed away their trust. It wasn't just that it was love. It was no, I thought we were actually in a relationship. Um, and this year, uh, this this cheater or whoever has come back, and the person who was burned said, no, I'm not giving you another try. I'm gonna go with someone else who is going to be reliable yeah i mean i i, I think i initially and bear in mind i would have heard this originally when it first came out mm-hmm. um in, in the i think it was 88 86 something like that um so i would have heard it as a child and very much gone down there well that's horrible this that person has treated this person abysmally and as i got older the more i listened to it the more i'm like there is no point in this song where you, the other person, actually promised you their heart in return. If we can get away from the whole bloody heart thing, yeah. Um, there's, there's no point where they said your affections were requited. You offered them something, and you did it of your own volition, and then you acted kind of a bit stalkery when, <laughs> when they didn't necessarily return it. So yeah, you, you have a legitimate reason to be pissed off, etc. But you kind of threw yourself in there if you see what i mean yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like a you you kind of have to reevaluate the whole thing by remembering that you only have the narrator's point of view yeah and actually if you relook at what the narrator's doing you can start to see certain 
elements. It's it's almost like you know what it's like. It's like reading a Reddit story. Oh god, it's you know, the Am I the Arsehole yeah, songs. Yeah, it's, it's the Am I the Arsehole songs. <laughs> Dear Last Reddit, Christmas is uh, Am I, I the Arsehole. I, male 26, gave yeah. my possible boyfriend, male 28, my heart wrapped up in a box. And then the next day he re-gifted it. <laughs> I threw a snit about this. Am I the Arsehole? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This year, I don't want to give him my heart again. <laughs> Am I the arsehole? But and inevitably, time, someone's of... going to sound like this sounds like an abusive relationship. <laughs> sounds like they were manipulating you or something. <laughs> and then someone else will come in and say, but actually, you did say that you wanted them to kiss you again. And if they did, you were willing to be fooled by them again. So are you really over this person? Maybe you need to look at that before you get involved with anybody. <laughs> yeah. Someone finally goes, sounds fake think this is a fake story no way is this real <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i mean I c you can absolutely see why it's successful it's a simple story yeah and it is you know there are opera songs from the 1800s which use the exact same themes you know yeah. sort of like i gave my heart to you but you, it's usually a woman singing this but mm -hmm. you have jilted me so i will call pride to my aid and i will make myself look beautiful and deck myself out in jewels and show you what you're missing so you know the 1800s version of a revenge body yeah and then um i will ignore you and treat you with the contempt you deserve while secretly still desiring you this is essentially what this song is about yeah yeah it is it, it kind of almost feels like i'm gonna play hard to get but also like i still want to be got <laughs> yeah i want you to try <laughs> put some effort in i've never understood that <laughs> the amount of times it's like a, no i'm not interested in you okay wait you're not gonna pursue me no you drew a boundary and i respect that no means no no, that, that that's not that, what that's not how it works. Yeah, it's like when people people have said to me in the past, "Are you playing hard to get?" I'm like, "No, I'm playing impossible to get." When I said no, I actually meant no. I'm not interested. And bear yep. in mind, I'm blunt, and I was way blunter back then. <laughs> blunt as a warhammer. It's like well, you're a fucking bitch. It's like, well, yes, that's probably true. But on the other hand, you still keep chasing me. So what is wrong with you? <laughs> you're clearly a sadist okay alright uh, let's get to one which is always uh, a little bit controversial um, and a little bit and that is uh, Baby It's Cold Outside by Frank Luessa uh, 1944 yeah okay alright cracks knuckles let's do this <laughs> I actually managed to do it. <laughs> Crack some knuckles. Okay. Um, Can't get so, into it now. <laughs> so this is written uh, by Loessa as a call and response duet in 1944. And it was popularised in 1949 in the film Neptune's Daughter. Yeah. If you ever look at the score, you'll see that the two parts are labelled wolf and mouse. And the idea is that wolf and mouse have been on a date and now they're back at wolf's place. And mouse is coming up with lots of reasons why she ought to go. And wolf is coming up with reasons why she ought to stay. Um, it's always been a controversial song. Initially, the big debate was whether it was even a Christmas song. That was the thing people were getting the knickers in a twist about. 
Uh, later, that debate turned into whether the song was even decent because it implied sexual congress between two willing participants outside of wedlock. <gasps> Gasp. Scandal, pearl clutch. <laughs> now, as always, context is essential. Now, the song was originally, 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 <laughs> which is like being originally, but it has, it involves sleighs. Um, the, the song was originally written by Luessa for him and his wife to perform at their winter parties. Now, in that context, a husband and wife implying they might have sex, it was an amusing shtick. Um, now, I seem to remember as well that they would perform it when they wanted people to leave and go home. Yes. Which for so me is even funnier. even funnier. Yeah, yeah. It's like, time for you to go. We want to have sex. <laughs> this is the curtain call. <laughs> Unless you're participating, leave. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, later it became a subversive way of saying the women want sex. Yes, even extramarital sex. And maybe that's okay. Believe it or not, that is actually what the song was, was believed to be saying or taken as taken as championing and um, looking at the way it's written I, I don't necessarily disagree with that yeah um. <laughs> so let's consider the brief span of I almost said let's consider the brief spam <laughs> your brain's already in Christmas mode isn't it it really is I feel like Monty Python are just slowly moving in would you like a waffle thin mint waffle thin um, so let's consider the brief span of sexual freedom ironically promoted by World War 2 everyone had gone to hell there Everything. was uh, what? Every, not everything had gone to hell not everyone had gone to hell no everyone had gone to hell everyone had been through hell everything was we were just in hell okay everything was hell okay <laughs> look I'm sorry <laughs> that's fine don't worry <laughs> there was a chance if you didn't sleep with the man you wanted now you might never have another chance because there was a good chance he wasn't coming home from the war um, and held up against the war itself who's sleeping with who became a somewhat petty concern yeah at the same time you know if you got pregnant outside of marriage you could get shut away in a home for mothers and daughters um you could be completely scorned um there was various other things going on so it was a time of great double standards um yeah. but because of this, women were expected to say no, at least before marriage. Um, it was risque to suggest they might enjoy sex um, or want to go back to a man's place for a nightcap and whatever followed willingly. Yeah. So being it's cold outside is about following the social conventions of saying no and only allowing yourself to be persuaded with apparent reluctance when all along you really want sex. Um, and that's why you're there in the first place. Yeah. Basically, people have lost their shit over this song since around 2004. Um, in 2004, and I can't remember the name of the reporter, but he wrote a very tongue-in-cheek piece which was about how this was a song about date rape, essentially. Um, but he was doing it in a way to say, we all know that's not what this song is about. Um, can you see how insane really adhering to political correctness without context is? The trouble mm. is, a lot of people read what he wrote and went, 
oh, he's right, and didn't see that he was being sarcastic. So there are a bunch of other articles after this also saying it's about date rape. It's really not. It's just that about 60 years of context have gone missing in between, um, you know, the song's release and its popularity in 1949. Um, in fact, it won the Best Song Award in 1950. Um, mm. And those who wrote the articles who later, after this, you know, sarcastic guy, just basically didn't bother to research any deeper than than his article and to write puff pieces off the back of that. Yeah. So, you know, they're already doing several things that really bug me, but the number one thing they're doing is not seeking for three independent sources of verification and doing their research. Yeah, absolutely. Now, lines like, say, what's in this drink, they're not actually referring to rehypnol or actually even alcohol. That's, it's a 1940s joke what's in this drink, nothing, it's a virgin martini. Uh, but it allows the perception of abdication of responsibility where the woman was free to say yes and still be a good girl. Yeah. Now, the song worked within the confines of the sexism of the time. And it's really a shame it's been taken so out of context because it's a really interesting piece of historical social commentary. I'm not saying that it was great that the times it was written in, you know, the 1940s, which we're getting... We're not very far off that being 100 years ago, guys, yeah. which is terrifying when you think about it. <laughs> um, but the, the mores and morals of the time were completely alien to what they were now. So, yeah, we're not saying that sexism didn't exist there. It clearly did. It was clearly an issue. And the fact that you had to be covert about your desires and what you wanted, even though everybody pretty much knew that, you know, women enjoy sex too. And sometimes they don't want to marry you for it. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's okay. Maybe that's not a source of shame. That was that was all going on with this song. And it just really kind of grinds my cheese. The, um, sorry, it's great. It's my cheese and grinds my gears. But it does both of those things. <laughs> the cheese is in the gears. Yeah, the cheese is in the gears. The gears probably run more smoothly now because the cheese was oily. Um, <laughs> I hope everyone's enjoying this mix of metaphors. I can add a few more in if you want. If you like it extra spicy, I'm sure I can come up with something. Um, yeah, so I think, I guess what really bugs me is the fact that this is actually arguing the complete reverse and as an interesting waypoint, a data point, if you like, on the journey from being really quite sexist to being definitely way more equal to being now where in most areas of the West we have almost equality even when there are still dying pockets of sexism. I yeah. think it's a real problem where you say, no, 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 this song cannot be played because of... I'm a big fan of not banning things just because you don't like them or you don't understand the context. Yeah. I, th I think it's interesting because there's... Basically, there are several layers to the discussion, which is the first one of saying, well, if we just look at it as the way it is, it's a sexist, very bad song about date rape and then the second level is no we need to apply the context and actually look at what it's actually about and then the third level is okay but even with the context things change um according to the times and now regardless of what it meant back then what does it stand for now and i think really it, it all culminates in a sort of a consideration of what is the consequence of this song um, and is it actually as dangerous as people are saying it is? 
Um, and this is not me saying, yes, it is, or no, it isn't. I'm genuinely asking, what do people think is going to happen with this song? Where I think there are enough people, really, who do understand the context of it and who do understand that it is not actually meant to be meant to imply anything beyond the fact that you have these two people who are being a little bit coy with one another and who are playing a game yeah absolutely and every time you see it sort of re-released um you know keris matthews and tom jones uh, earlier recordings of it uh, particularly when it's done with with dance numbers as well it's done so playfully it's clearly a game it is a call and response which was what it was designed to be you have to work really really hard to make this something fucking sinister i think yeah so um, so yeah, yeah. I, I do think you need to <laughs> you need to but at the same time i can understand people turning around and saying well i'm just not comfortable with it because of this that or the other and i think that's okay you're allowed to not be comfortable with songs yeah you're allowed to not be comfortable with lots of material um you don't have to like it on the other hand if something makes me uncomfortable i then examine why it makes me uncomfortable and i go and check it means what i think it means and it's that disconnect that really bothers me because people aren't doing that bit they're not doing anything that looks like work At the end of the day, I think it, it's just down to personal preference with the song. Um, I really don't think it's damaging. I think it's actually quite a sweet little song, really. Yeah. Um, I also think it's quite memeable. The amount it's... of people... <laughs> that one I sent you the other day. <laughs> <laughs> There's some brilliant ones. There really are. It is very memeable. There's nothing like a great memeable Christmas song as you're heading towards Christmas. Yeah, the amount of people in Canada who 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 do this this use the song as a joke where it's like I really must go baby it's cold outside you like might not I've survive. got <laughs> you might not survive it's sub 40 there are polar bears etc <laughs> yeah so yeah I think I think it's just going through the motions um and I I really do think it's coming out on the other side where everyone's like okay we kind of know what this what's what at this point I think what kind of bugs me is that the very people who are shouting about how sexist this is and how awful it is and how it's about date rape are the ones who are really into bully romance so in yeah. one breath they're kind of like baby it's cold outside is the worst thing ever written we must ban it burn it it must be struck from memory and on the other hand it's kind of like yeah but i think it's really hot when the gangster holds her up against the wall and tells her she'll enjoy it because she's already wet for him i'm like no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you you cannot see the dichotomy there you know you cannot see the juxtaposition of those ideas yeah i mean th- there is something to be said about if the only thing that is stopping you from leaving a house is someone saying hey it's a bit cold outside then i really gotta feel like <laughs> that, that's not the greatest barrier to overcome <laughs> Oh, there's other great lines like lend me a comb it's like oh your hair looks great it's like I can't go out because I need to brush my hair <laughs> like, <Yeah>. really <laughs> though again I do understand and I think yeah it's down to personal taste I don't have anything against anyone who for whatever reason just cannot get along with a song even if they know the context of it um, but yeah that's that's down to to personal taste and yeah, that's fair enough don't call for banning and burning etc just don't listen to it yeah 
and you're even allowed to criticize it that's okay too yeah absolutely <laughs> okay all right so we've actually reached the end of our list of songs for this year um so i mean as we've said you know you can tell a story via song you know we've we've discussed a lot of songs in the past and things like that and obviously we've just had this episode now um and it doesn't even need to be an a to z plot line um often with more popular music implying or missing chunks of development actually works better and makes the song a lot stronger probably because it allows for a level of self-insert but also allows you to kind of gain context through the music, other lyrics, um, certain implications, etc. Yeah, how it's performed also informs the meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you could take "Don't Let the Bells End" and you could play it straight. You yeah. could play it straight in a much more minor key, um, with less effects and things. As much more about, you know, we're not really connecting this Christmas and it's breaking my heart kind of thing. That's yeah. not how the darkness wrote, and it's definitely not how they perform it. But no. um, you could play it that way if you wanted to. Yeah, you absolutely could. Um, you know, you the other thing you need to think about is when it was written and the context of the language used is very important. Um, language is one of those interesting things because it does mutate, it does develop, it does change. Um, and it is amazing also how it can be so completely different depending where you are. Like the thing that always makes me really laugh is whenever I hear anyone like in America say, oh, yeah, and she fell onto her fanny. And I'm like, like she fell onto her what? She fell onto her what though? Yeah. <laughs> that is not the same thing here. It's the it same is... like, uh, do you want a ride? And Ireland doesn't actually mean, would you like a lift to the shops? No. <laughs> It's like you're asking for something a bit different. A nice ride is not a very nice bike or car. It's a girl who'll go the distance. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. And I, I won't lie, the first time I heard someone say the word fanny pack, I thought it was a sex toy. Well, you could I was be like, what a really uncomfortable way to carry things around. It's like, why? Why would you have one there? Why not just give us actual pockets? <laughs> yeah. Designers insane. will do literally anything to, <laughs> to avoid giving I mean, us pockets. With, with, with less <laughs> hilarity, if we were talking about a woman talking about her honesty in the 1800s, she's actually referring to her chastity. So, yeah, things definitely change. I think it's very egocentric, though, to assume that the meaning of a word that you understand is the correct one without checking, especially when something was written maybe 30, 40, 100 years ago, and you assume that your understanding of that word has changed and there's been no context-specific alteration of the word. I think that's really lazy. Yeah. It's also why I'm not actually that against people revamping songs, um, like for a modern audience and changing some of the lyrics. I'm not actually against it in the same way that I'm not against it when people do kind of, you know, remakes of certain classics or originals or what so, because that doesn't actually mean that the original has disappeared or gone. It's no, just but... something new for the modern audience. and But I think I, I do kind of draw a line when I say... 
you know, when it becomes censorship instead of, well, we just want to create something, a new version of something old or update it for whatever reason. If you want to do that, that's absolutely fine. I think it's much better to to actually just give people some context. But yeah, every now and again, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just down to preference. Yeah, I'm a little bit more against people just going in on an old song and completely changing lyrics so that it removes sense and meaning. I feel that's quite insulting to general yeah. intelligence. But I think that's the same as when you adapt anything and you don't actually really see the heart of it or consider it. Yeah, I do, um, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, in theory, though, I don't... You know, you could take the... You could do like a rewrite of Baby It's Cold Out. In fact, why not just instead of everyone getting bent out of shape about Baby It's Cold Outside, swap the parts around so the woman is singing the part of the wolf and the man is singing the part of the mouse. <laughs> why not? Never seen anyone do that. That could be really funny. That could be really fun as well. And uh... and you are also being quite seditious there in the sense of well, maybe he's the one who's a little bit nervous and is, is sort of like, oh, I don't know, but I kind of want to, but uh, she's kind of scary. You can completely change the context of the song without actually changing the message. Yeah, but now it feels it feels really uncomfortable. Now it feels uncomfortable? Yes. I don't know why. I'm just imagining it now. And it's, and it's suddenly feeling really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know, I think a gender-bent one could be funny. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be gender-bent. You could just have two completely different people, two women, two men, whatever. You know, yeah. there's lots of ways of of taking something that people are like, oh, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, and changing it so that it, it means something slightly different or it's being portrayed in a different way. I'm not a big fan of, I wish you would stay, but it's completely up to you. And it's like, why make it so completely bloodless when it was clearly just a game in the first place? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I just thought of the weirdest combo of performing that. <laughs> a nun and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so your brain really is on holiday right now. <laughs> oh, I want to see that now. <laughs> I don't. Jesus, I, do. I had enough Catholic Christmases, thank you. <laughs> Oh, dearie me. Okay. <laughs> so. That's feel... way more disturbing than the original. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> That's why I suddenly thought it was the weirdest one I could think of. Oh, dearie well, knowing me. knowing you, I suppose I should be grateful there weren't cannibals involved. Oh, shut up. Should <laughs> 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 you rewrite? Baby, it's cold outside with cannibalistic themes. What's in this drink? <laughs> Actually, I tell you what, we can combine it with lo Last Christmas. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> a mashup. There are a few hearts in there. We can make it work. Yeah, it could be an entire story, couldn't it? Yeah. Last Christmas I gave you my heart and you put it in a blender and served it to that girl in a drink. <laughs> so that she wouldn't leave. <laughs> it's a Christmas horror, right it's, there. It's Vlad Dracula and Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> what are our favourite Christmas songs, Jules? <laughs> um, I have 
obviously mentioned um, Fairy Tale of New York. I do like Maybe It's Cold Outside, but I, again, I agree with the argument. It's not technically a Christmas song. Um, I obviously really do love uh, uh, Don't Let the Bells End. I There are others that I really like as well. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what else I um, really, I really enjoy listening to at Christmas. See, I'm I'm really... I like Stop the Cavalry, even though, again, that was never intended to be a Christmas song. It was just a commentary on war. And then they put... The, the guy who wrote it was almost a bit pissed off when they released it at Christmas and put bells over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Yeah, just slap on some bells and anything can be Christmassy. I... <laughs> the thing is, I, I'm, I'm actually sort of maybe a little bit old-fashioned i really do like listening to carols at christmas yeah i do but i, mean, I love i love the the um the carol of the bells yeah i do but let's try and keep it to popular music since that's what we were talking about i feel like carol of the bells is popular enough <laughs> yeah but it's it's an actual christmas carol isn't it it's not... yeah fair enough fair enough um no, I, I think also to be fair, we do have to to mention Mariah Carey. <laughs> yeah, it's eternal. Bend over, that song is coming again. You know. Yeah, that <laughs> we've defrosted her. She's <laughs> she's on her way. <laughs> See, now that's also really memeable because I mean, it's one of my favourite Christmas memes. Is it's the scene from The Shining where. <laughs> where Wendy's crouched in terror in the room and normally you'd have Jack Nicholson like cutting his way through the door with an axe instead it's Mariah Carey with a candy cane (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, I love it okay well we have reached the end of our episode um and I mean we'd love to hear what are some of your favorite Christmas songs guys um do you agree with us do you disagree with us can you think of any examples of rewrites which you feel are even better um or songs which have disappeared that you think actually should be making a comeback as always we love to hear from you uh before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week um and this week i am once more going to embarrass jules yay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because we have the release of the most recent um, Harker and Blackthorn novella, which is actually a novel. Yeah, I failed. <laughs> which failed is spectacular. The Death Upon Her Eyes, uh, which is uh, <laughs> Eddie and Steve's gothic rodeo. <laughs> gothic rodeo. <laughs> Now, I really love this. I got to read it around um, Halloween, uh, which was the perfect time to read it, because that is when it is set. Um, And it is basically, the story is set uh, before the fairy tale nonsense um, in the Harker and Blackthorn timeline. Yes. Um, And yeah, and it basically sort of shows us how Steve and Eddie kind of have sort of found their middle ground I feel and yeah. actually become unlikely friends it is the it is the Julian and Miles friendship 
Yeah, whether of, you really uh, like each other yeah. at all. <laughs> um, it's very spooky. Definitely be wary of reading it if you are anywhere where you have to drive down dark roads where there might be deer. <laughs> um, it's very gothic. I think for me, one thing I really liked about it was that it... Um, it actually finally gave me the chance to really start liking Eddie as a character. Um, it is told from his point of view. Um, and I just think it's it's a really, really lovely and refreshing kind of perspective. Uh, very enjoyable and definitely worth picking up as a spooky Christmas read. Yay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It was a lot of fun to write, um, just because Eddie and Steve are kind of polar opposites personality-wise, despite having a few qualities in, in common as well. Yep. And, you know, Steve is just as reluctant. <laughs> Steve basically goes along with Eddie's um, sort of rock and roll nonsense here, just because he feels he owes Eddie after the whole rescuing him from a dragon thing. Yeah, so, so we could leave, or I could... <laughs> continue to follow you around as you do this absolute nonsense it's also the fact that eddie starts to be like oh don't worry i can leave this to steve for the, all the supernatural stuff and steve being like no <laughs> you are overestimating me stop it yes yeah <laughs> no it was um it was a really really good read um i thoroughly enjoyed it and i highly recommend that everyone go and grab their copy for this christmas so on that note guys we are going to say thank you very much for listening we hope that you have a wonderful holiday no matter what you're celebrating or whether you are celebrating um, and we'll catch up with you guys for our new year wrap up yeah wishing you a merry christmas a happy solstice and uh, we'll see you in the new year or slightly before the new year maybe all right, guys, thanks very much for listening and catch you guys soon. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.